inside, you don't get out. Yeah. All right, ladies, I'll give you a minute to, to wrap up. All right, ladies, I think we'll, we'll start just for the sake of time. So good morning. It's so nice to be here with you. Um, I really have been enjoying going through the book of Ephesians, um, especially within our small groups. I've really been learning a lot from the ladies at my table, and I hope you have as well. Um, and so this morning, I also just want to remind us of what we've learned so far. So I'm just going to spew out some words, and hopefully it jogs your memory. So we've been predestined, we've been adopted, we've been forgiven, we've been saved from our sins, and we've been made alive. And that was all by the grace of God and nothing that we have done. It's all through faith that we receive these things. And so as we get into the text this morning, I want us to remember what it's like, or how it was that we became Christ followers, how we became Christians. It is all by the grace of God. And so as we look at our text, we're going to see how we are to walk as Christ followers. And just to remember that it's not the things that, it's not the way that we walk that makes us Christians, but it's from Christ that we are Christians. Um, and so we'll see this way of walking um, isn't beyond or past the gospel, but it is from and flowing from the gospel that we are to walk this way. So I'll pray and then we can jump right in. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your son who came and died um, and rose again, Lord, defeating the grave and has redeemed us to himself. I thank you that we are not meant um, to follow Christ alone, but as a, um, as a, a body of believers living in community and fellowshipping with one another. And so I pray that this would just bring you glory, Lord, as we look at your word and study it and apply it to ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text book ends with a way of walking. Look with me to verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then we'll look um, at verse 2, chapter 5. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So for the Ephesian Christians and us as well, there ought to be an obvious difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. Those who are dead and those who are alive. And so throughout this letter, Paul gives reference to the word walk. And it's not a physical walk, as we know. It's not that Christians have a you know, straighter back posture. Or it's not a certain strut. 
but it is a way of life or our behavior and actions in life. So we saw last week that Christians, or the body of Christ, are to walk in unity. And today we'll see how Christians can walk in unity by putting off the old self and putting on the new. So we tend to teach young children um, character and common sense by telling them what not to do first. Don't touch the oven. Um, don't hit, don't grumble, don't throw that in the toilet, don't eat out of the garbage, and so on. And so if Paul is talking to the Ephesians, he's telling them what not to do first. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't think and act like the unbelievers who are around you. The Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. It is through vain and selfish desires that they are driven. And Paul says that they are darkened in their understanding, understanding and they are ignorant. And all this stems from a hardness of heart towards sin and God. And therefore, God has alienated them. <clears throat> this hard-heartedness has desensitized them to the things that should bring them shame. Look at verse 19. So they have become callous. They're callous to the shame that comes from selfish um, pleasure and they're greedy to do what is impure and evil. They feel no guilt and no shame of sin in their lives. One pastor says, when the inside is broken, it shows on the outside. So Paul looks at the heart and the mind because the things that the Gentiles and even us Christians think about and feel don't just stay within us. It's seen in our actions and behaviors. So they will either draw us to Christ or they will alienate us from God. And Paul continues with addressing the mind. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So they learned about Christ. They learned a person, a human being who walked this earth, who lived a perfect life, who died and rose again. They learned the gospel. They were taught it. And they were not just told facts. They were told of a person who has accomplished their greatest need, which is a savior, someone to save them from the guilt and shame of sin. Um, so they're taught of a person who wiped their ledger clean before God. And so he's, Paul is saying, you Christians are not alienated from God. Your hearts are not hardened towards sin, but God has given you new hearts in light of the gospel that you've heard. And in learning about Christ, you were also taught Look at verse 22, to put off the old self, the person who was dead in their sins. And then they were taught to renew their minds, to think, to ponder about what Jesus has done, and to put on the new self, the one that has been made alive only through the work of Jesus, only by the grace of God. And they are to be like God in righteousness and holiness. This is a one and done process, so to speak. <coughs> When the Ephesians and when us have heard about Jesus and we had put our faith in him, we were saved in that moment. We were given new lives and new hearts. But Paul is saying that we are to live out the implications of this new life. We are to renew our minds each day. Because each day our greatest enemy wants to infiltrate our minds and want us to think about anything and everything except for Jesus. And so when we are not thinking about Jesus, we will grow, become, grow to become more callous toward our sin, and our hearts will harden, and we'll be people who love our sin more than God. 
So I think a good question to interject here is what are we thinking about? What, how are we thinking about our sin? Have we come to terms with sin in our lives? You know, maybe on this side of the cross, I'm just always going to be angry. Or it's just in my nature to be impatient. It's in the, it's in the family. We're all impatient. Um, and yes, in one sense, we will have sin that we struggle with on this side. Um, but Paul is saying that that is not the that you are no longer the person who is stuck in their sin. Our hearts isn't hardened towards sin anymore. We have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has defeated every sin and has saved us from sin and death. We have been given new hearts and new desires. So what are we thinking about? How are we thinking about our sin? So Paul, Paul then goes on in detail about how we are to walk and behave in regards to specific sins. So he talks about falsehood, anger, thievery, and so on. And within these sins, he says that there is a putting off, so we are to put off these sins, and then we are to put on a new self. And then he tells us why. He gives us a theological reason as to why we should do so. So how not to walk, how to walk, and why. So let's look, briefly look at these. And this is not exhaustive in any way. I'm sure a lot of you have probably even talked about it at your tables, and there's so much that we can learn and so much that we can um, unravel um, with these sins. So again, this is not exhaustive in any way. So the first one he mentions is that we are supposed to um, put away falsehood. Um, so we can immediately think of lying, which you wouldn't be wrong to think. Um, we can also think of over-exaggerating, embellishing, withholding information. Um, but we can also just look back at what he's talked about, the Gentiles, the way of living without Christ is false. Um, and so then he exhorts them to speak the truth. And that could be actually just telling factual things. But I think he's also talking about that we should speak Christ to one another. And so then he says, why? Here's his theological reason. It's because we are members one of another. That makes sense, right? So we belong to one body. We were purchased by Christ. So in order to maintain the unity in this body, we must speak the truth to one another. We must speak Christ to one another. Um, and that's how the body will grow. Look back at verse, four, uh, verse 15 in chapter 4. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Christ, um, we see you know, when we're speaking the truth to one another, we're going to grow into Christ. But also Christ is truth. We just read that in verse 21. So Christ cannot lie. So if we're becoming more like Christ, um, we cannot be false in our, in our way of walking, but we also cannot speak falseness to each other. Then he goes on to be angry and do not sin. One commentator views this word for anger here in verse 26 this way. If our anger is not free from pride, malice, or a spirit of revenge, it has degenerated into sin. So I feel like this one can be kind of easily twisted into our own kind of selfish justification. Many people will argue that it's because of other people's sin that I am acting this way, that I'm angry. Um, perhaps sin has been seen, or perhaps this anger can show up as a way of you know, blowing up with our words. Maybe we're getting violent. Um, maybe we'll see that um, later on, we'll see that it can be bitterness or slander or malice. But Paul is saying that yes, you can be angry, but your anger shouldn't cause you to sin, and it shouldn't cause others to sin as well. And it's right to be angry at sin. You know, we, we belong to a sinless God, so God is angry at sin, so it's right for us to be angry at sin. But it should not cause us to um, sin. 
So our inward and outward response needs to be controlled in light of who we are now in Christ. Paul then shows what the new self looks like when they are angry. The new self isn't angry for long. We are to be quick to resolve and reconcile. And what is Paul's theological reason? It's because you are the members of the body. Sorry, it's because when you are angry for too long, the devil has a foothold on you, a member of the body of Christ. When we allow anger to fester in our hearts, resentment, hatred, and malice grows towards other members, therefore bringing division in the body. And that's what the devil wants. He wants the body to be divided. He doesn't want there to be unity. So we'll look more into detail about anger and what's permissible a little bit later. We'll move on to stealing. So don't take what isn't yours. Instead, we are to work. What is Paul's theological reason? It's so that we can give to those who are in need. Before, we were selfish, but now we are selfless. And then also, we are thinking about others in different ways and how we can help them. Paul then says to have no corrupting talk. That could be cuss words, harmful words, vulgar words, um, gossip. It can be slander. Instead, he says to put on the new self. We're to have words that build others up, then encourage them. What is Paul's theological reason? So that there is grace to those who hear it, so that it will be a blessing to them. Our words have so much weight to them. I don't know if you guys remember the, the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That was a lie. <laughs> Who came up with that? <laughs> words hurt, and when we are spoken ill of, it can hurt us deeply. Perhaps some of you have been extremely hurt by words. Perhaps you would have rather been hit by a stick or a stone. Our words have detrimental effect on others. It can unify the body or it can corrupt it deeply. So we need to be careful when we are speaking to others and if we are speaking about others. So Paul leaves us with an overarching reason as to why we are to put off these sins. Um, look at verse 30. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says that we are to put these off and to put on the new so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So there are two thoughts here. One, that God can be saddened when we fall prey to sin. He can be grieved. But Paul doesn't just say, don't grieve God. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit plays a unique role within the Trinity in regards to our salvation. He's there in the beginning when we come to faith. He seals us, and he's there on the day of redemption when judgment takes place. Paul also has said that we are united in one spirit. When the church is struggling in these sins and causing disunity, when we aren't united in the one spirit, it grieves him. The Bible also speaks of the Holy Spirit as our helper. He's God indwelling inside us. When we have sins that control us each day and we're not asking the Spirit to help us, he is grieved. So Lego has become a thing in our house now. We're starting to play with it a bit more. Um, you know, Hudson is starting to play with it a bit more. And um, early on, it was really frustrating. He didn't know how to put the pieces together. And so he'd throw the pieces everywhere. There's tears down his face. He's kicking his legs. He's screaming. And at first, I kind of thought it was funny. So you know, I'm like, I'm there, I'm here. Like, let me help you. And I would take his hands and I would physically help him find the grooves of the Lego so he knew what to look for and how to put them together. And he would 
put two pieces together, take it apart, to put it together, take it apart, and he kind of got the hang of it. And then he would try new pieces, and then the process began again. Lego everywhere, tears down his face, screaming, kicking, crying. And it's like, Hudson, like, I'm right here. I'm here to help you. Like, I'm, I want you to ask me for help. Um, so in a similar way, the Holy Spirit, he's there. He wants you to ask him for help. That's what he's there for. And so he helps us to walk in righteousness and holiness. We're not left to put off these sins in our own strength, but we have God on our side. So verses 31, you'll see that there's a list of ways that anger can be seen. And Paul starts with how anger towards another person actually develops. It's inwardly, it's in our hearts, bitterness. It's a resentful attitude towards another believer. And, when, and then he shows the progression of bitter, bitterness. It leads to disgruntled outbursts, rage, public shouting, abusive language, and cursing and just malice. He says, don't behave like this. Put it all away. So what squashes anger? How are we to put on the new self? He says to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. What's his theological reason? Because God forgave you. One commentator says the word in Greek here that is translated to forgive is the same word as grace. God showed you grace. He showed me grace. He showed us unmerited favor. And you might be thinking this is easier said than done. And I get it. Um, we were also just talking at our table. Relationships are hard. They're messy. You know, they're complicated. They're broken. And as much as it grieves you when you're in the midst of a fractured relationship within the church, it grieves God much more. And God understands hard, messy, and complicated relationships due to sin. We once had a broken relationship with God. How was it restored? Did we meet him halfway? No. Remember back in chapters 1 and 2? It was all by grace. Look with me to verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to walk in sacrificial love. And this can be hard. It can be hard to imitate this. We're, we're in our sin still, but we have a Savior who's walked this for us. He's given us an example to follow, and he can even sympathize when it's hard. But it's not impossible. We are not left to ourselves. We have the spirit for help. We can pray for help. And we can ask for words to say or not to say. We can ask for control over our emotions. We're not left to walk like a Christian without Christ. We don't have to do it in our own strength. But we are called to unity, and that is what it looks like. These aren't my words. These are the words of God who sacrificed himself for us and loved us and saved us and united us in him and us together as a body. And it's all to give him glory. So how are we to walk not like the Gentiles? People who are palates to sin, people who say what they want to say, do what they want to do and feel what they want to feel. But we are to live in light of the gospel that we have heard. We are to live like people who have and know Christ, imitating God, walking in sacrificial love for the sake of the unity within the church. And it's not in our own strength, but through the power of God and his spirit. Let's pray to that end. 
Father, I thank you that you know our, our state, Lord. You know that we are weak, that we are sinners, and that we need help, and that you do not leave us to our own devices, but you have sent us your son who um, uh, just died on the cross and saved us from our sin, and it's all by your grace, Lord, and you have not left us in our own strength to walk this life, Lord, in, in, in this body, Lord, and in this world, um, and in relationships, Lord, that you have given us your spirit um, to, to look to for help and to pray to, Lord. And so I pray that you would help me and help each of the ladies here um, to become more like you and that we would seek you each day, Lord, and that it's through the gospel that we can put off the old and put on the new. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.